0: here we are. Welcome back to Book Wave, the book club podcast. I'm your host, Scottsley, joined again today by our good friend Marvin. How are you, Marvin?
1: Doing well. Um, I told you already. It's it's very hot in Vienna today. Um, yeah. I was going around doing some stuff, and then I sat down with my roommate. We we had something to drink, and was we're enjoying the weather. And yeah, you know, we're sitting here to talk about important stuff. Looking yeah. forward to it
0: thank goodness that spring has sprung so
1: yeah yeah thank god christ has yeah. risen as we see
0: yeah in vienna and in canada <laughs> very <laughs> nice how, yeah. how are you doing i'm doing wonderful it's just same as you i'm enjoying the weather i'm trying to get a little bit of a garden started out in the backyard okay. so hopefully that uh hopefully that uh is fruitful <laughs> So yeah, well, yeah, so yeah, we're going to do this as a bit of a, a follow up to our last big conversation and just try to get down into the weeds of whatever this is we're talking about. So what, what, what opening questions do you have to launch this, launch this episode off for us? Yeah,
1: I'd like to um, know your, your general, let's say, opinion or stance on maybe religion in general and then especially Christianity. And then also the differences between before you started reading the Bible and afterwards, that'd be very interesting to me, and then we'll see where we can go from there.
0: Yeah, so I'd say the Bible itself hasn't really had the biggest effect. I think the biggest like a turning point was uh, when I really started listening to Jordan Peterson and it it kind of came out of like a like a political thing because when i started listening to jordan peterson the most it was because of you know bill c16 here in canada and the everything going on in the universities and i was just like okay this guy this guy knows what he's talking about and by this time i was like i was already a fan of figures like sam harris richard dawkins the whole four horsemen thing there's a guy that wrote a book called uh uh, what was it a philosophical atheism and uh that that had a pretty big effect on me so it was like the first time I was really comfortable calling myself an atheist was born out of an argument with one of my grandmothers about why like whether or not Noah's Ark actually physically happened Like, Noah's flood and, like, putting all the animals... I'm like, okay, if you believe this, then I don't don't know if I can put myself in this classification. But Jordan Peterson really was like, alright, fine, but did you think about it this way? I'm like, oh, not really, no. So, I'm still at a point where, like, I'm completely agnostic. Like, I don't have an opinion... Of whether or not the figure of Jesus Christ physically existed and resurrected. But at the same time, I don't think that really has an effect. Because of like, it kind of cheapens it to call it a story or a mythology. But like that pattern, you know, it exists in like how we all live our lives like, even if we don't realize it, the figure of Jesus matters. And like, again, I hate to cheapen it, but I think in the same way for a lot of like hardcore comic book nerds like me, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, they all exist in a similar way that helps us direct who we are. But Again, I don't want to cheapen it and be like, it feels more like a, like kind of a pagan mythological alternative to Christianity when we start putting superheroes up as our idol. But I do see, like, a modern superhero as equivalent to, like, a pre-Christian hero like Odysseus or um, Achilles, someone like that, who's above humanity And they're kind of like in tune with something you could call God. But it's not the same kind of God that exists in Christianity. And I. For a long time, I feel like the two like. The Christian story and like the mythological. Like the mythology of entertainment could coexist. But now I'm starting to have like. I'm starting to second guess that when, you know, I don't know if you know about this, but in the Marvel continuity lately, Jesus Christ has been labeled as like the first mutant or something. I'm like, okay, that's, that's going too far, man. That's going too far. You can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah go ahead. <laughs>
1: Just so for, I, surprise maybe isn't the best word because it's to expect of them. But uh, interesting, I haven't heard that yet. I, have, I stopped watching um, the Marvel movies really after I think after endgame or maybe after the last Spider-Man. Like I did watch the last Spider-Man because I grew up with Spider-Man and I wanted to see all three of them together. So, so yeah, obviously yeah. I watched that one. But... No, I hadn't heard that they labeled him as a mutant.
0: Yeah, that's that's only happened in, in the comics now, but I mean, comic writers, the big two, anyway, Marvel, DC, I have a lot of problems with them. Like back when they just like uh, attacked Jordan Peterson, compared him to the Red Skull for no reason. I had a big piece to say about that. But yeah, I think there's like as important as Spider-Man is to like secular atheist comic book nerd like kids like myself back in the day I think that that's where I think that's the core of most religious stories it's just a better story <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like to to like focus on the incarnation specifically again i I don't know if it objectively happened. I'm trying to avoid the word literal here because we all know that word doesn't mean the same thing to different people. So, like, to say it literally happened, I don't think you can deny that because literal comes from the word literature. So you could just say literarily it happened. Well, literarily... Spider Man saved the world a few times. So, but yeah, I think there's a lot more to be found in the Christian story that we've completely thrown away. Like Jordan Peterson says, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's much more to be learned from the Bible itself and all of the extra biblical texts surrounding it. And to dispose of that would be like, oh sorry. To dispose of that would be like to just take away the entire Marvel universe to a kid who grew up reading nothing but the Marvel universe. So.
1: I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. Well, I mean that quite a few points. Um, right. First of all, I, I, I definitely see the um, connection. Let's say between uh, the similarities between the old myths, also the pre-Christian myths, um, and modern s- superhero stories. Um, they do take a very similar role. Um, I wouldn't go too far with that because, in the end, and I think we're not at that point in our discussion yet, but. Um, In the end, it obviously makes a great difference if it's a story that objectively happened and has the implications that uh, the Christian story has with the whole salvation thing and so on, Um, Um, or if it's just something that can boost your morale, or maybe even teach you more. It's because, I mean, from one standpoint, you can say that, we wouldn't have something like morality if it weren't if it wouldn't objectively exist. Um, I, I think I think that's a fair claim to make. That's that's what I what I like to um, throw in the direction of a, a, a true atheist. Let's say is that he says I can be or some of them say I can be a good person without believing in God. And the problem with that is that you can't um, or maybe first of all you wouldn't have any idea what good or bad even would be if not if there wasn't something or someone writing it in stone that day and making it making it um unchangeable because otherwise i could say one day say hitting people is wrong and then the next day when someone annoys me i can say well maybe it's not that wrong i can i can hit this person for example
0: yeah um and you kind of oh. you kind of see that in like modern day among like the the people who lack religion or some kind of code or basis that their decision just does change between day to day like all they do is watch the news without making any specific examples you say oh one day i'm supposed to do this and the next day i have to do the opposite so but there was a one thing you said there that like There are elements of Christianity that I think you cannot take out of the Western man, let's say. If you grew up in the Western world, like just your tradition, the way you like wake up in the morning and interact with people is inherently Christian, even if you don't realize it. We may be in danger of losing that if we lose like the secret ingredient of Christianity, which I think is faith, which is, I think the best way to describe myself would just to be faithless. I don't like the word "nun," just because it has extra connotations. Like you see all the, the Christians say all these nuns, N O N E S and they have to spell it afterwards. Like just, just call, just call it faithlessness. Cause I think that's the real key because most of these people, myself included, don't realize how Christian they really are in their upbringing and the way they, like I said, interact with everybody, the way they compete in games. Just like certain tics that we don't realize, like certain little things that make us mad, like you, you're treating me like I'm less of a human and that angers me. And I think that, that's either just purely human or that comes from the religious instinct of like all men and women are equal in the eyes of god which is something that i i don't know like the jordan peterson act as if you believe it like part of me believes that that like all of us have something that make us equal i just don't know why i believe that but i like, the root of atheism is to just say, like, atheism. Theism is a belief in God. Atheism is to live your life without a belief in God, is without God. So, I think that, like, key figure is the only, well, not the only, but the biggest difference between a Christian and an atheist is just the deity everything else like between you and me, at least it might be different. If you go to China or India somewhere in Africa, where traditions are much different, but at least the two of us can interact in a way that we can kind of connect, even if we don't have that one thing in common.
1: Yeah. See what you mean. Um, and I, that's definitely what you experience in in normal everyday life with um, between people who do believe who do have faith and those who don't um, is that we share enough common values uh, that that interactions are possible. Um, <clears throat> we think problematic. It, it gets problematic when these values get tested. So when you, uh, which which is which is Jordan's, I think Jordan's. Favorite example: When you get into a, a tyrannical um, government and uh, society, then these these things are tested. Um, a someone who truly believes in God and the Christian values and has them. 100% integrated, which most, not even most Christians have. Like, I I, I certainly don't, even though I try to. Is that whatever you demand of them, whatever horrible act you demand of them, they will not do it, and they will choose certain things if necessary to avoid an action like, you know, gassing juice, for example um and someone who thinks they share the same values or do share the same values but have no no unmovable immovable um, foundation for it they will be able to be pushed further and further towards um atrocities if there's, there's a great example in the Gulag Archipelago, um, where I think it was in the book, where Solzhenitsyn talks of, I'm going to get it partly wrong, but the, the important parts I'll get right, um, is that a, I think a mother or a child um, was picking up individual grains that fell from the wagon or hadn't, hadn't blossomed or whatever to eat them because they were starving and a low level judge and that's where I might get it wrong but a a low level judge was supposed, uh, according to the law, supposed to sentence them to death and I think he something like appealed to a higher court and said I can't do that because that's wrong I, I can't kill a mother or a child for picking up what, like 10 grains that wouldn't have uh, been sown anyway? Um, and then the judge, the higher, the higher judge said something approximating, um, well, there is no God who determines what's right or wrong. So we determine what's right or wrong. And we say that this is punishable by death. So yes, you can do that and you will. It was something like that. I probably got something wrong, but the important part I got right, and mm-hmm. uh, that's like that's the problem. Saying also, if you're like a normal father and you get called to to, I don't know, tell the Nazis where, where the Jews are hiding. Something like that. And you know what's going to happen to them if you tell the Nazis. Um, mm-hmm. Then. You, you know, you can be pushed a little more, pushed a little more, pushed a little more, and then that's where you, that's where you uh, end up, that's how you end up in hell. It's like through small, small, small individual steps that you might not even notice consciously.
0: That and kind so... Of, yeah. That kind of reminds me of a sequence in a book that does not talk about God at all, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. So she's quite famously the like founder of objectivism and very atheist as faithless and god-hating as you can get so there's one uh like a scene i guess in the book where there's like a train that's like burning coal and it's about to go through a tunnel that if it's forced to go through the tunnel the coal smoke is going to fill up the tunnel and everybody is going to die so there's like a bunch of series of phone calls like trying to stop it from happening like one guy on the ground calls the next guy up who calls the next guy up who has to call the next guy up saying like we can't take it through or we're all gonna die and the guy just says well take it through anyway that's the train needs to go it needs to go So he calls the next guy and says, yeah, the train needs to go. It needs to go. And they keep passing off the buck because no one wants to be responsible for stopping the machine of progress. And eventually the train doesn't make it through the tunnel and they have to like fish it out. So like this huge tragedy happens because nobody is willing to make the call. Like, no, people are in danger. But the one person that would have stopped it in the book anyway, is not a Christian. She's just an objectivist to sees the value of human life. So I really, I see what you're saying, but I don't think that the value, that the perception of the value of human life has to come from religion, but it is a damn good source of it.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a, it's an immovable basis. I think that we have that in us, like this. This we we know that life is valuable and, and sacred, even to the degree that we can conceptualize the idea of sacredness. Um, but I think that we'll, if if you don't ground it in something, again immovable, okay. then you'll be able to be pushed away from that. So I think that's more of a value in
0: so then religion. so then god and religion gives us the reason to stick to that value you could say
1: yes i mean ultimately god is also the, the source of the value itself so uh but but we're so far into western civilization that we have um, as you already said we we have incorporated that into our beings and the way that we were raised. So we don't question, normally, we don't question. Hmm. But if you know why you don't question it, then you're a lot, you stand firmly in it. And if you don't know why you don't question it, then it's, it's not secure, it's
0: Hmm. Yeah, we're kind of we're kinda of getting into the realm of what's the difference between a good Christian and a good person? So how how would you define the difference between those two? Because as like a faithless person, there really wouldn't be a difference other than the Christian has to stick to like a bunch of extra little codes, let's say. I don't know how to how to best put it. <laughs>
1: I what you mean. Um more intelligent people would be capable of giving a better answer than I'm trying to give. But the God the relationship that we have to God is personal first and foremost. It's not the same as this idea of the universe, for example. Like to that's that's how people nowadays like to think of God as like as the universe told me this, the universe wants this and that. Um mm. and so there's Again, if, if Christianity is true, which I wholeheartedly believe, um, then all these extra things um, are not extra things, and that they are fundamental to the whole. You know, prayer, for example, is a personal interaction with the creator of the universe, and you're also called to cultivate a personal relationship with him, and going so far that we become his friends to the degree that that is possible. It's not only servants, it's, we become his children, and we become his friends. And it's very hard for me to put into words the difference between these two worldviews, but I hope that maybe we can try to work it out, because uh, if you have an impersonal force that created the universe, then it's all very... It's... They have no better word than saying it's impersonal. Something that gets personal is a lot more defined and I think crystalline, something like that. So so there's an important difference, I would say, between them. If you have loyalty to an idea or loyalty to a person, it's also there's a there's an emotional difference also in these two things, I would say. And the difference between them and a good person and a good Christian, like a truly good Christian, would be that in the hierarchy of values they they, they inherit different uh, positions. So you have the good person, maybe just to say something, somewhere in the middle, where they 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 really try to be a good person and they're not trying to hurt anybody. They don't listen and. But you have the good Christian who's participating in the sacraments and who is uh, going to confession and who is praying and trying to, you know, give people some of that personal love that God gives them to, to give it to those other people as well. Um, and that's like you're, you're getting closer and closer to the top and you're getting closer and closer to the actual ideal, which I would say now is Jesus Christ. Um, So if Christ really is the pinnacle of this hierarchy, then obviously those who follow him more, even though the others don't lie and don't steal and don't murder, are still better. Mm. Uh, They are higher up in the hierarchy. Of of goodness, let's say, and I'm and I'm not saying that in a, uh, a let's say in an arrogant manner, and I'm also not counting myself to those higher up uh, people or something like that, because I'm also um very far away from being who who I would like to be. I'm very far from the ideal. Um, so so yeah, does that make sense
0: to a Yeah, that I've been you know trying to find a good answer to that question for a while and i think that's the best one that i've come across so far so thank god <laughs> it really kind of like uh it's it sparks the uh, image of dante's inferno have have you read it yourself not yet well there's it depicts like in the most mild ring of the underworld it depicts like figures like aristotle and plato and socrates are there just like in the outer rim not like the extreme punishment but in kind of like a just like a lounge room kind of thing like yeah this is this is hell but it's not eternal damnation like the real sinners get but like that still always bugged me i'm like why would why would you put the some of the greatest thinkers who have contributed even like to Christianity. There's many Christian figures that have called uh, Plato like a Christian without Christ. I'm like that's that's really powerful coming from like a Christian talking about a pre-Christian pagan, you know, <laughs> like they had some respect for these figures, even though they were non-believers and that they still found their way into the underworld, which never sat right with me, but that kind of gives me a better like reasoning why Dante would do that in the the Christian worldview. Like, well, they are falling short of perfect. So why would they be at like, uh, the Lord's right hand, so to speak, or whatever up there with Beatrice?
1: <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, you see, um, I have a few things that I'd like to. I hope I don't forget any of those. Um, the first thing is that in there are some in, in Greece and also the parish that I went to um, a few months months ago um, has in the north north Texas, uh, which yeah in the north Texas, which is like the 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 place before the, the actual church room stops. It's like between the, the door and the actual where the, the worship is happening. Um, okay. We have we have images of the Greek sages. They don't have halos uh, because they're not saints in that sense. Um, but they were uh, pre-Christian Christians in a sense. Um, as we have this idea also that uh, God was present in the pagans who were searching for him but had no way of really getting to him because before Christ, you know, if you weren't part of the, the Jewish culture, um, the Jewish people, then you have no direct connection to God in that sense. You couldn't have. I don't understand it. Um, or you normally couldn't have. And so we believe that he was present with those who were, let's say, acting in law and uh, pursuing truth and all of these things. Um, and also, I hope I don't mix them up now. But I think we like one of our things said that that Plato. Uh, I hope I don't mix them up. But again, I, I think he said that Plato was like the first to accept Christ when Christ, after he was crucified, went into Hades, destroyed the doors, and uh, was there to get all of all of the people in Hades out of Hades. Um, so we think that now they are uh, these thinkers. We think they now are with Christ. Yeah, it was just that salvation wasn't even for Abraham, wasn't possible before Christ did what he did, before Christ died and was resurrected. Everyone, except, like, I think, two people in the Old Testament, uh, went to Hades. They died and they went into Hades and they, they were staying there until Christ came. Uh, it's just that, as you just said with, with Dante's idea, um, they they weren't being tortured, let's say, or waiting, as I understand right. it. Right. But the thing yeah. about theos, and I think this is the third thing that I wanted to mention, is that the, you know, the Orthodox Church, more than any other church, has this um, core idea uh, that is called theosis. Um, and it's the, um, it's, it's man becoming God. Um, it's not that we become like God the Father, uh, but it's, it's that we uh, remove, by the grace of God and with His help and the help of His saints and His holy mother, um, we remove every stain and everything that is in contradiction to Him uh, as we go on with our lives. And we become people who God can flow through freely with nothing holding him up. And then we become one with God without losing our individuality. But we become our true selves in the image of God. And our true selves would be where we don't have this sinfulness that is attached to us now also by our own decisions, obviously. Um, and, And so if you don't have the necessary tools for that, then you just can't do it. It's impossible. Um, it's you can almost view it view it as something technical. Um, so necessary for salvation, for becoming one with God is for example, Holy Communion, um, if you don't receive Holy Communion, then you're lacking something. Um, and if you can't go to confession and your sins can't be forgiven, then you're also lacking something. No matter how hard you try, it's like if you—I don't know—if your—if your bicycle doesn't have wheels, then no matter how hard you try to drive it, you, you're gonna fail. Um, and so it's—you can—you can almost view it as, view it as something technical. It's not like God—God's judgment doesn't work in the same way that our judgment does. It's not like. Um, I'm angry with you and you deserve this and that's why I put you there. Um, even, that might be part of it, but that's not, that's not the, how, how, how this works. It's that we condemn ourselves. Um, we, we take on things that are contrary to God, which means that they're contrary to life itself, which puts us in alignment with death. Um, and, So if you are aligned with death, then you can't be at the same time aligned with life. It's impossible because it's a contradiction. Um, And so, yeah, I I think that's very, very important to understand.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess like... uh... I guess my uh, interpretation of the whole, like, uh, heaven thing, like you said, there's only, like, a couple figures from the Old Testament that ended up going to heaven. Like, there's, like, one throwaway line in Genesis where Enoch is raised up to be beside God or whatever it says. I'm not quite sure.
1: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes.
0: And, uh, And the rest of the time, death is just described as... Sheol, which like nine out of ten translations I can find of Sheol is just a pit in the ground or a hole or a burial site or something like that. I'm like, okay, so did they not have a conceptualization of the afterlife among the ancient Israelites, or was was it actually there from the beginning but extremely rare because we do have one little line or two little lines in Genesis that say it, and then, hmm, that's a lot to think about.
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) We can, we can, you can, you can think about it in the next week when we talk, we can, we can go back to it. Uh, Just, you know, let it sink in, or maybe if later in the conversation something else comes to mind, then just spit it out. Um, Because there's something, like one more thing that I'd like to talk about, which is um the idea of symbolism and incarnation um, because uh, in the beginning of our conversation you said that you're not sure if it objectively happened and i uh, I, I will try to to put put a thought into words that that I find very hard to to verbalize um and it's, uh, incarnations happen all the time. Um, the way that the world works is not merely materialistic, um, as we talked about. The like existence is not as clear cut as people of the modern world would like to have it. Um, we have the idea of something um, and we have the potential, the material. And when these things come together, then something can fall. So Jonathan's favorite example is the cup. You have the idea of the cup, something that can hold um, a fluid, and you have the material that can, um, actualness, that, that can form into them, that can be formed into cup. And only when the idea, which is completely non-materialistic, non-physical, and the, um, the potential, the material, come together in the right way, in a coherent way, then this thing can incarnate, Then this thing can form, materialize, actualize. Um, itself, and so if you try to take paper and make it into a cup, then that's not going to work. Or if you take metal, but you put a bunch of holes in it, then that's also not going to work because it will flow out. So, or if your idea of a cup has these holes in it, and then you, you know, you know what I mean. If these things don't fit together, then it can't, um, it can't incarnate properly. But you have these incarnations all the time. Um, and so we see how bad actualness or how my guitar actualness it manifests itself because the material is put together in the correct way. And I think all these things exist in a hierarchy. There is better, they are better Bats. they are better doors. There are better guitars, and there are worse um, versions of all these things, up until to the point where they don't work at all, and also up until the point where they work perfectly. Um, yeah, and, and that's the idea of of Christ. Also, is that Christ is where the image of God is perfectly incarnated in the world, in a human being. Um, so it's obviously it's a lot higher, price is a lot higher than a cup or a guitar or whatever. But the the process is categorically the same. It's just different in, in quality, let's say, and also obviously in level that it happens on. Um, but the 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 thing that crosses itself is the same thing. And so it came to me, it came down to, um, do I believe that the perfection can incarnate as well, or do I think that only imperfect things can incarnate? And if I believe the latter, then I won't be able to believe in Christ. But if if I think that this process uh, is working on every level of reality, which to me just makes sense to me it seems obvious um then i also have to believe in christ and in his incarnation
0: yeah to run with that metaphor for a little bit more i see a lot of people running around with a nothing but a paper cup you know what i mean (laughs) yes (laughs) it's like you need you need a better cup and You know, I have an instruction manual on how to build a better cup right here. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
1: Very much. Very much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of want to go back to just Lazarus for a minute. Like one of the first, like, uh, instances you see of a resurrection, like, performed by Jesus Christ himself. So, Do you think there's like a little bit more symbology there that Lazarus was like the trial run of, you know, rescuing a soul from the underworld? Like if going to heaven was truly that rare in that time, then Lazarus, he he wasn't that special. He's not even mentioned in the Bible that much, but he dies. And then Jesus seems to deliberately allow for that to happen because he delays his trip i think it's due to the sabbath he just delays his trip and then when he finally gets there he's already passed on and then a few little like uh ritual practices later he's up and kicking again so like i after what you said i kind of think like that this is just a, a little bit of what's about to happen so what what do you think about that
1: yeah, I mean, try. Or I don't think that Jesus needed to practice it. He <laughs> <laughs> you know so. So I, I, don't think that that was the reason. But I've also yeah. do Maybe not. Maybe not it. a
0: practice run, but just to like show the people, like so they understand, yeah. like this is what I'm capable of. So yeah. they're not really messed up afterwards when it happens for everybody.
1: <laughs> Especially because um, y- 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 you probably remember that they said. The his, like Lazarus' sisters, said to Christ when he said, Open the tomb, they said to him, um, uh, But he smells already. Uh, and there's this idea in, in, uh, in Judaism at the time that when the body starts to smell, that's when you're gone beyond repair. So no one has ever uh, resurrected, no one has ever resurrected someone um, after that that space physically um,
0: starting to rot away on the inside and the gases are releasing.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so
0: there would be uh, many, I, I would think there'd be many examples of people being in a coma and they would just be thinking like, Oh, they're, they're not alive anymore, but they still have the breath of life. Their heart's still beating. So it's not too late for them, so to speak. But like, once everything is gone, then they understand that there is no turning back from that.
1: Yes. And also, um, you have in, in the resurrection of Lazarus, Christ differentiates himself uh, very, very much from the prophets who did resurrect people. So we have, I, th- I think it was in the book of Micah, but I'm not quite sure. Um, But there's a prophet, maybe Elijah, maybe, Mm. um, who resurrects a little boy. Um, And uh, there might be also a few more instances like that. But we have prophets who do um, resurrect people, uh, but only to a certain state. And after that state, uh, the Jews are sure about no one can resurrect this person anymore, except God, obviously, because he can do what he wants. So that's where Christ uh, shows himself. um, Again, uh, as who he truly is, which is, which is God. Hmm. Like in the, in, in, in the theology of the time. And obviously there are no Christian theology.
0: Like that—that's kind of where I get like hung up on something. Mm-hmm. Like you—you you just mentioned like what God wants. I like I kind of think that like if God truly does operate in a, on a completely different level, I would think wantonness and desire would not be a part of it. Does that make any sense? Like if He doesn't have any limitations like i don't think he would do anything specifically because he just wanted it i think that that probably comes from like the benevolence of god that you see in christianity as opposed to the the god of jealousy that you see in the old testament i think there was a a difference in perception there So deep what do you think about that
1: I would say God, well, obviously isn't driven by desire, the Mm -hmm. same way that we are, and doesn't simply want things. Um, God is perfectly clear to himself in his, in his motives, let's say. So if he wants something, he knows exactly why he wants it. And there's also a perfect logic. I would say, I would use that word, no, uh, logic in the things that he wants. So we are often, uh, com- I think the word is compartmentalized. Um, like we, we have things that uh, um, contradict with each other in ourselves. And we also are confused by our own desires. We don't know all of our motives. Um, God does. And so if he, if, if, when I say, he can do what he wants, that means that he obviously is limitless. So, if God wanted to lie, then he could lie, um, for example. But, um, God's nature is truth and uprightness and law. So, there's no instance where he would want to act against them. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Like, a, like just bringing it back to how like intrinsic and important story is to people. It reminds me of a quote by Neil Gaiman, my favorite writer. He mm-hmm. said, a a great story is a lie that tells the truth. Yeah. He, he's talking about, Shakespeare, and like, I think the specific play was A Midsummer Night's Dream. And he has like all of these characters in, like, it's the comic book Sandman, and he has all these characters performing this play in, like, the fairy realm. It's, it takes a lot to get into, but like, there's a fairy realm, they're all performing this play, and there's one character that just has this throwaway line that's like, it's incredible. I know these events have never come to pass but they're just so undeniably true and it's like that's that's how i really feel about the bible like it doesn't matter to me if it happened because the story itself is the structure it's the pattern in which we all like live our lives so like when you have a story that you've never read before tell you something about yourself that just slaps you in the face, it's pretty undeniably true, as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> yes, and that's also the way that Christ, uh, oftentimes Christ teaches us uh, in parables. There's no claim that these parables happened, uh, not even in the Bible. Um, the vine stock, the vi- vi- vine stock thing, like the vineyard where the the father sends uh, servant 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 and they kill him and kill him and kill him and then he sends his son and they kill his son as well like this is particular thing that didn't literally happen in the sense that there was a real vineyard uh, but it's it's true uh, it's true on a some in a some i mean first of all it's true and then it's true in a symbolic Way because it's also um, pre-figures uh, what, what will happen to Christ and what Christ is doing on um, it. So yeah, you can, you can tell lies of fictional stories or parables and they can, they can incorporate truth perfectly. And the difference then, I think for me personally, with the Biblical stories, that the way that I understand them is that they are these perfect manifestations of the of, of proofs. And I, I believe that the perfect examples of these ideas did happen. Like, I think that's how reality works, is that at one point they will manifest and I, I think that's what happened in the story of noah for example like i do believe that 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 that, that happened i also believe that adam and eve literally <laughs> objectively existed um i yeah. think there was a flood i think there was an ark up arch
0: ark yeah
1: yeah, yeah. And, and all these things
0: will and i had a had a barbecue recently and we just yes. uh we were talking about like Cain and Abel and the conversation started with like engineers and you know laborers have been enemies since the dawn of time and then Will was just like yep that was Cain and Abel I'm like you're right (laughs) and then that really got me thinking like what if that is the like the unequal offering that uh they offered to God like one was just like I have an idea and the other one was doing all the work and he's just like I'm sick of it you dang engineers <laughs> But yeah that yeah, I
1: get I get what you mean that makes sense
0: That's just a tiny example of like Cain and Abel could literally mean like any number of things but it's undeniably true like sibling rivalry or just like any kind of rivalry like you, you understand that like it's a it's a brotherly love. There's also a bit of a, like a, not a hatred, but like, a, a vengeful feeling that comes along with it.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much. I, I, I see what you mean. So you can you can see that in, in in all in every in every aspect of reality. You see um, the Christian stories. Uh, the Christian patterns, uh, the biblical patterns, uh, manifest themselves to higher and lesser degrees. I think that in itself is, is something really amazing, um, because as a true materialist, you're not... you can't believe in it, you, you, you can't open your eyes to it, because the moment that you do, you have to disregard your whole worldview.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I'm if I exactly fit into the materialist mold, because like, like I practice tarot, like <laughs> I'm I'm like, like I said, I'm a vessel for all kinds of demonic ideas. So I'll try anything once. <laughs> like, I think. Like, that's. One of my major problems with Ayn Rand and objectivism is that she completely disregards the spiritual. And, like, to to say, like, you shouldn't join this particular religion because it's destructive, that's one opinion. But to say all religion is destructive and belief in any god is destructive and you have to follow these objective truths objective truths that she inherently gained from her, you know, Christian upbringing and, like, a rebellion against communism. Like, a rebellion against communism and rebellion against God gets you objectivism. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, I really feel like there needs to be more philosophy that's like for something good rather than against something evil because like one I forget who said this first but a lots of people who said it like Christians or sorry atheists don't believe in God yet they all believe in a devil like Sam Harris is a perfect example of someone who like preached atheism is the way to go Christianity is parasitic and vile but the devil exists and his name is donald trump like i think you missed the point sam (laughs) like and i think the same thing comes out of like satanism wouldn't exist if it wasn't for christianity because satanism is literally just anti the christian ethic so i think the main thing that i've been experiencing when like reading the bible and researching christianity specifically more is like like you have to live for something instead of just against something and the bible even if you don't believe in the deity you don't believe the christian story is objectively physically true there's still a lot you can gain from it and like jordan peterson was like one of the main ones that like flipped that switch with just the simple phrase i act as if god exists. I'm like okay. I I can I can reach that point. I can I can be a good person through that lens. That's something to strive for, but i just don't know if i can like that secret ingredient of faith is just dicey for me and i don't know where people find that it's
1: um you see it's always there's always a leap there's always a leap of faith that you have to make if you right. want to become a christian but it's not necessarily as big of a lake of a leap as as people would like to believe Um, There are many things that people think they just have to believe that you can test and that you can compare. I'm not going to get into the details of that now because that's a whole other topic and I'm also not well read enough to really talk about that um, in in public, I would say. uh, Because I'd have to, well, whatever. But you can, um, for example, you can compare the different religions and the claims of the different religions. And then from that point on, you can make out things that truly are impossible to be true. Um, Without trying to cause offense, for example, if you go into, if you try to study Islam, um, you are going to encounter things that show you that it's impossible for Islam to be true, because it contradicts itself in um, many different ways, and also in very funny ways, where it like it, the Quran um, calls on the Bible and confirms the Bible, uh, thinking in the inherent belief that the Bible confirms the Quran. But when you go to the passages and the ideas that the Quran is pointing towards, then it, it says the opposite of what the Quran, the, the author of the Quran, thought it said. Um, so it, you, can, you can make comparisons like that, for example. Um, and then you can root out things that, you know, you definitely won't be believing in because it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, then there are historical things that you can look at. You can see um, how many things point towards someone called Jesus of Nazareth existing and having been crucified uh, as um, Causing, I think, what's it called, like political uproar or something like that. Um, So that's the, we we have documents pointing towards that, for example. Then you can look at the apostles uh, who uh, talked to Christ directly, um, uh, to this person, Jesus, directly, and who were uh, willing to die horrible, gruesome deaths for. Uh, for their beliefs and the things that they said, with literally nothing to gain whatsoever. They lost everything for their claims. They lost their status, they lost their money, they lost their homes, they lost their health, they lost their families, and they lost their lives in 11 of 12 cases. Like, the only one that lived up till he died of old age was St. John, Mm who was a kid when he was around with Christ. Uh, all other apostles gained nothing and died horrible, gruesome deaths. So there's like you you can think about how plausible is it that someone is willing to die for a lie that they know is a lie uh, and and they gain nothing from and lose everything through. Like that's also a thing to to just ponder on. Um, and okay. like and a million other things. So The leap gets smaller and smaller the more that you investigate, but it still stays one. I at one point had to say, okay, I think this is enough for me to feel secure enough. Jesus, please, like help me. I would like to do the personal thing now, like the emotional thing that I can't um, can't uh, think logically about because it's an emotional connection that you have to establish.
0: Right. Yeah. I also remember one conversation that Paul Vanderclay had on his channel. And I don't remember who he was talking with, but she was, she was a Christian. And then she like made a point that said, uh, talking about faith and how like she thinks of it as like a gift as something like she had that other people don't like, I started thinking about that and I'm like all this time I've been thinking of like atheism as this little piece of knowledge, this like little intellect that I had that other people didn't have access to. And then I'm like, it would be useful to think about it the other way around. Like the thing that is like atheism can't possibly be a piece of knowledge because by definition it is a lack of something. So I'm the one that lacks the element, the secret ingredient called faith that keeps me from Christianity or whatever. But uh, oh, there was something else I was going to say there. Hmm. I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So I have no question of, like, when I read the... Old Testament and the New Testament and all of that. I have no question whether or not these people believe what they're writing. I just don't know if they're right about what they believe.
1: Please explain
0: that. It's just like, I don't know, people have told me that I'm a little too skeptic for my own good. But like, uh, I just, I kind of... I kind of just like the mystery of it, if that makes any sense. Like, when I hear, like, uh, or when I read the Gospel of John and he describes the resurrection of Christ and everyone's like interpretation of it and what happens afterwards, I'm like, of course, I believe that this man believes what he saw, but I just don't know if he's correct. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. that's that's what the um, the atheistic scholars uh, of of the of the biblical texts also say. Um, those who are honest, at least. Um, and I'm not appealing to authority. I'm just giving a um. Forgot the word. That it's it's they they say that these people saw something. I don't know if it was. What they claim it was, but they definitely experienced something that shook them to the core, um, uh, you can you can make your own way from that.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't go as far as to say like, well, it obviously means aliens. Just look at the description of Ezekiel's wheel. If that's not a UFO or a drone, I don't know what is. Those those people are out to lunch. I mean. I used to be obsessed with ancient aliens when I was younger. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is real. And then I watched, like, one documentary called uh, Ancient Aliens Debunked. And I'm like, well, shucks. And yeah, that sucked when I had to
1: accept that. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: yeah, like, after... I think there's a lot of people out there that are, like, stuck on... Like, everything these people say, like, our interpretations of something that we don't understand. But I understand it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that, like, think they have the secret key. And I I don't have anything against exploring those possibilities. But I do have something against thinking that, like, you are the one with... The only one with the true knowledge, I know what's going on. Like, of course, I know that my opinion of the Bible and most mythological stories are uniquely my own. But I would never, like, talk to you and be like, well, actually, this is what Jesus was. He was an alien. (laughs) Like, yeah, that. Or, like, for Marvel to come out and say, actually, Jesus was a mutant in this in this timeline, in this universe, that's what he was. I'm like, that's, that just, that's just not right. I think that if you're going to, at least this is my approach with like trying to tell a story that deals with like religious or biblical themes, like try to set it up so that like people are asking the question, like, does this universe that you're setting up have a God and be like, my only answer to you could be if you believe in God, then you can believe in God in this universe. If you don't, well, maybe your opinion wouldn't change, but there's still a bunch of other wacky supernatural things happening. (laughs) (laughs) And like the idea of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like there's plenty of like, really devout Christian scholars who don't believe those were human beings, just titles of the work, like names that like everyone else was trying to like make their own literature, like writing their own everything. But these were the ones that were like canonized, but the rest of them would have like other random names like Philip and I think peter and there was like some other ones but like these were the ones that were canonized in the new testament so they just happened to be entitled matthew mark luke and john but i don't like i think there's a lot of things you could do in a story with just those four figures and not say well this means god exists or this means god doesn't exist whereas the route marvel's taking is just well, it's blasphemous, as any way you look at it, right? And I'm not even religious, and it doesn't sit right with me.
1: Bless your heart for that. <laughs> People who like it very much, and I think you see where this is going as well. It's it's trying to um, replace. It's a paper uh, cup, religion. is what
0: it is. It's a paper cup. We have a perfectly good glass cup. And people think their paper cup is better. (laughs) But they'll notice.
1: They'll notice. Uh, And I'm not even looking forward to that. Because it's going to be, in one way or the other, this is going to be quite unpleasant. Um, But they will notice that it doesn't work. Um, And then, hopefully, uh, we'll return to what does work.
0: In the same way that you and I realized. Ancient aliens. That whole theology doesn't work. Like the whole. Like I don't want to attack people. But this whole woke movement. Doesn't work either. <laughs> like. I I used to be of the opinion that like. Uh, there's nothing wrong with secular atheism. But. Since like this whole woke thing kind of. Grew out of it like a cyst I'm like maybe there is a problem with it I've like I never thought like like uh, 13 14 15 year old Scotsley would never never in his life think that I would ever utter the words you need Jesus but (laughs) (laughs) like I start scrolling Twitter I'm like these people have nothing to live for they're just they're just spinning around in circles <laughs> yeah was was there it's... anything else that you wanted to really get at before we wrap this one up
1: maybe just a mention we don't have to get into it now we can try that next time um but you you said in in like a a a sentence you said that you don't want to miss the mystery of it um and, I'd like, and let's not get into it now, but uh, we have mystery preserved in Christianity as a fundamental stone to reality. So we believe in mystery as something that belongs to, um, to the way that the mystery itself is a part of being, let's say. And we don't think of mystery as something just that's hidden and it exists behind the veil, but we believe in mystery is like mystery itself. It's like it's yeah, it's not just something that's hidden. It's really the mystery itself is a thing. Um So that's that's very interesting. You're gonna Yeah, if you ever become Christian, you're not gonna lose mystery. It's just that different things are going to be mysterious
0: you. <laughs> yeah, I was like uh I'll, we'll just finish off with this one quote then from one of my personal heroes who created the marvel universe which i brought up jack kirby and he was in his writing process he talks a lot about the mystery and he said that like if i die and i'm confronted by whoever's there on the other side i only have one thing to say and that's the questions have been terrific
1: Well that. said, that's a that's
0: a good quote, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just love that. Like, if nothing else in life, the questions, like the answers, they're fine, but the questions, the questions are terrific. So we'll leave you with that, and until next time, may the force be with you.
1: Christ has risen, God bless you
2: all. Christians, we do not see the stories of the Bible. The stories of salvation is just this arbitrary set of facts that we must believe in to be saved. Of all Christians, we know the organic process of salvation, the transformation of man into God through participation in the life of God is the very manner by which the world exists. It's the very thing that links this outward phenomenon to consciousness, to news, to logos and unites all things towards the infinite. I mean, how awesome is that? And in the background, we've also kept and we hold not only the keys to Christianity. Of all the Christians, we do not see the stories of the Bible. The stories of salvation is just this arbitrary set of facts that we must believe in to be saved. Of all Christians, we know the organic process of salvation the transformation of man into God. We also hold the heritage of the ancients. I mean, we're not Platonists, but we have carried Plato. We are not Aristotelian, but we have carried Aristotle, Alexander, Homer, Virgil. And we could add to that all the useful stories of all people who enter in communion with Christ. We keep them alive in the narthex of the church so that they can participate in the manner to which it is possible that they participate in the divine life. You'll recognize these are images of the Greek sages from Anarthex in a monastery in They don't have halos. That's okay. <laughs> we hold the golden thread that reaches back into the mists of time. The same golden thread that is under increasing threat of being cut. Of all the Christians, we do not see the stories of the Bible. The stories of salvation is just this arbitrary set of facts that we must believe in to be saved. Of all Christians, we know the organic process of salvation. The transformation of man into God participation in the life of God is the very manner by which the world exists. It's the very thing that links this outward phenomenon to consciousness, to nous, to logos and unites all things towards the infinite. I mean, how awesome is that?